Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, or the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and the Apostle Paul writes to Christians in Ephesus, and he's trying to express to them the wealth that they have in Christ because they are in Ephesus. And in that day, in that time, Ephesus was a seat of wealth. And unfortunately, the Christians were being negatively affected by what was going on in Ephesus, and the Apostle Paul was trying to make sure they understood the wealth, and it was really a play on words because he uses riches and wealth, which is a worldly term about temporal riches and wealth, but he kind of uses that to express how many riches and how much wealth we have just by the fact that we're Christians and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So it's pretty exciting. Now, 2,000 years later, you could almost read this letter. Well, you could read this letter and think this could have been written this morning, could have been written to us by the Apostle Paul because what coincidences. We live in the Northeast. You know, we live in the, I guess, the greater New York City type of area, and there's wealth here. And unfortunately, there's Christians today who are constantly pining away for the things of the world, and, and, and they learn the hard way that it doesn't make them happy. The new car gets older. The new house, you need an addition. Well, we need to do this room. You know, the degree, we need to get another degree. And these things are not bad. But Christians sometimes lose their focus. So as we go through this book, we can really see how it can affect us today, this morning. I think you're going to be blessed by it kind of reminds me of the, the widow, the elderly woman whose husband passed away, and she only had a few hundred dollars in the bank. So she's going through his belongings in his room because she needs to know what she can do to live. And she goes through all of his drawers, and she opens up the bottom drawer and finds all these pieces of paper that say Apple on it. Well, she doesn't much care for Apple, so she closes the, the drawer. And unfortunately, the woman lives out the rest of her years eating soup every day in poverty. Well, it wasn't until she passed away that her relatives came and they went through her belongings and her husband's belongings and they opened that drawer and realized that that was Apple stock. The woman was worth millions, but she was living in poverty. Right? Now, Christians can be the same way. You know, what I, hopefully by the time we're done with this letter, you'll be like, wow, I didn't realize that. Wow, it's, it's at my fingertips. Wow, God has provided these things for me. So I think we're really going to be blessed. And we're going to take this in five parts this morning. But before we do that, I want to give you a little bit of an overview. Who wrote Ephesians? Well, it was the Apostle Paul. He remained in Ephesus for at least two years on his third missionary journey, and that was in Acts 19 and Acts 20. You can find that. When was it written? Well, Paul wrote to the Ephesians on his first Roman imprisonment between A.D. 60 and A.D. 62. Where is Ephesus? Today, it's still there. Now, for those of you who came in who are a little skeptical of the Bible, I hope to open your eyes with some visual aids. I'm really excited about this, if you can tell. Uh, but today, Ephesus is in western Turkey in the, what's called the Izmir province. Ancient Ephesus was home to the temple of the false goddess Diana or Artemis, depending with, whether you were Roman or, the, or Greek. And that temple was one of the wonders of the ancient world. The fact that Ephesus was a coastal city really added to its success. 
A little perspective check. Ephesus now is a ghost town. It's home only to archaeologists digging up the past. The people, the wealth, the splendor, the idolatry, it's all gone. But Ephesian Christians, true Christians, have been enjoying the splendor of God for the last 2,000 years. Why was it written? Well, because Christians were negatively affected by the wealth, idolatry, and splendor of Ephesus while living as spiritual paupers. Again, where we live, you can see that today. We, you know, a lot of America is depressed economically, but you wouldn't know that so much in New Jersey and New York, where, where business is thriving and people are making a lot of money. Paul wrote this to make Christians more aware of their position in Christ and their riches in Christ and to motivate them to draw upon that in daily life. So the goal is to walk with Christ. So for anybody struggling today with their walk with the Lord, this is going to bless you. Because as we go through this, even if you miss a Sunday, get it free on the website. Because this is for you. Similar to 1 Corinthians, Christians were behaving worldly, but different than 1 Corinthians. I did a little comparison with 1 Corinthians. Instead of addressing a specific sin, Ephesians was a general treatise on how the Christian could tap in to this spiritual wealth and grow and mature. Who, what, where, why, when, usually we do that with an overview. The last W is warning. This letter is not politically correct. <laughs> the Apostle Paul was motivated by the Holy Spirit. And God needs us to move in his directions. He's not going to be conformed to this world. So as we read this, we realize there's some hard things that the Apostle Paul asked us as Christians to do. But we have to tap into that spiritual wealth, the power of the Holy Spirit, to be able to do that. And this letter is foundational, or the first chapter is foundational to the rest of the letter. So a few slides. We can start with the slides. This is Turkey, and you can see the different areas, right? And this is Ephesus, again, a coastal city. Without modern-day plumbing, and they could dig wells and stuff, a coastal city was big back in those days. Next slide. If you really look at this structure, look at the size of the people, right? Look at the tourists. As you can see, you see the daylight behind the facade? The roof actually collapsed. Now, this is 2,000 years old, and the facade is still standing. It's pretty impressive. This is what, the great library of Ephesus. And what a feat of architecture to last that many years. And this was big back in those days. Next slide. That's impressive, isn't it? The amphitheater of Ephesus. Look, look at, this, look at the way they uh, set the stones and the way they, you know, we try so hard here in the worship team to set up acoustics just right, but back then they didn't even need electricity. The way they made a conical uh, shape as it goes up and uh, you would speak down there and, and it, would be, it, would, it would reverberate. Remember we talked about how Jesus would speak on the uh, Sea of Galilee and those coastal areas and the mountains surrounded him provided natural acoustics. Again, no electricity back then. Um, so this is, this is the amphitheater. Next slide. <laughs> this is what's left of the Temple of Diana. See, God will allow us to be in our folly for a while, our stupidity. This false goddess, this actually grotesque figure that people would worship, Diana. Does anybody know any Diana worshipers today? I don't. Raise your hand. You know any Diana worshipers? I haven't met a one. And I meet people all the time. But this is what's left of the column and some of the foundation. These actually structures are modern structures behind 
But this, is, this was one of the wonders of the ancient world. All gone. Okay, that's it for the slides. So, prove it to me. There you go. It still exists. Archaeologists are still digging. They're still finding things. They're still finding inscriptions. The letter to Ephesus is real. Starting with verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first part is the salutation. He needs to get a few things straight here. It's by the will of God. You know, the Apostle Paul didn't send in for a, a mail order reverence certificate or something like that. It was God who ordained him and called him, and he didn't have an easy ministry. I, I can tell you, it's kind of funny, I, I look at my own life, and I'll give you an example, is that when I first came to salvation, I was enamored by the pastorate. And I wanted to be a pastor the first few years, but boy, God had to do a lot of work in my life. And I tried so hard. I sent hints. I was overt. You know, I tried all these things because I really wanted to be a pastor. And God really shut the door at every turn for years. So I just kind of gave it up for a while. Then the opportunity came to be the pastor of this church. And I, there was a lot of things going on. And I didn't think I was prepared. And I actually vehemently said, absolutely not. Here I am. <laughs> and I said, absolutely not in front of the upper echelon of Calvary pastors that were out here at the time. And it was kind of funny because I'm like, all right, Lord, let me get this straight. When I really, really wanted it, you said no. When I really, really didn't want it, you made me take it. Is this some kind of reverse psychology? <laughs> but the answer is it was by the will of God. It was his timing, not my timing. God may be calling you to something. And, uh, you know, you know, you can sense it when he's calling you to something, and you're trying to kind of push it out of your mind. But if it's by the will of God, he'll work through you. That's a blessing. So he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus, faithful in Jesus Christ. And that's the criteria, right? But what, what does it mean to be called a saint? Somehow, uh, the Apostle Paul, three times in this letter, or no, in the first ch chapter, he continues in the letter speaking to saints as if they're alive people. Somehow we got this notion over the centuries that um, saints are people that die. Well, we don't even know if they're saints yet. Then a church council has to convene and decide whether they're really saints or not. But not according to the scripture. Things change over the years. Men get in there and make a mess of things and make themselves more important than they need to be. But the word saint is hagias. Right? Hagias. Now... Hagias is the same noun, person, place, or thing, that's also used in verse 4 for holy. So saint, contextually, could either be something that's holy, or it can be a person who's a saint. Now let me just read you some of the directions, or some of the, um, you know, the definitions. Holy, consecrated, blameless. I've got to be honest with you, when, I guess when you think about some of these words, and you look at the word holy, blameless and then you think of yourself you think i know for me i'm like nah it can't be you know you kind of think of like a, a monk in a monastery or somebody takes a, a vow of poverty but that's not what it means it means to be consecrated to be separated unto the lord to look less like the world and more to be moving towards jesus christ let me give you an example if your friends are getting together and they're going to go somewhere where you know it's not a good place it leads to trouble it's it's not a good place, and they're all getting together. And you either, A, don't get an invitation, or you get an invitation and you turn it down politely. Politely. 
what happens is that's really a picture of holiness because you're not running with the same crowd. It doesn't mean you still can't have friends that don't know the Lord, but it means you're not doing the same thing that they're doing. That actually is a picture, believe it or not, a real-life example of holiness, real-world example. Oh, wow, I didn't see it like that, Pastor Joe. Yeah, blameless. It doesn't mean that we're sinless. It just means that we're not actively engaging in something at the time where somebody can point the finger and say, you know what, that's... Uh, that's really not commensurate with, with what with Christ established. Right? We're never sinless. You know, in this journey of life, we're going to sin. And we're going to have to ask for repentance. Right? Forgiveness. We're going to have to repent and ask for forgiveness. Verse 3. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And again, when you understand the words, you can say, hey, that's for me. When you don't understand the words, you say, oh, this has to be written to people that are really special. So do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you trust in him as your Lord and Savior? You are a saint. St. Joe, St. Bob, St. Jane, that's what you are. If Paul was addressing us today, he would say to the saints who are in Calvary Chapel Crossfield. Five, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Second part, chosen by the Father. In this, we find encouragement. I mean, how do you not find encouragement? I'm going to go through some words and phrases and, and collect them together to encourage you, right? Um, unfortunately, when we look at words like chosen and predestined, it sometimes flushes out those that lean hyper-Calvinist who want to make an argument for all this kind of stuff. And here's the sad point about that. And here's the irony to that. They miss the main point for the minutiae. Predestined and chosen is, is a supporting uh, concept for the love of God. The love of God is primary. And all that stuff kind of explains to us the depths of the love of God. The main point is that God loves us, and he has a predetermined plan of salvation for us. He knew that we were going to sin, and he immediately, he, he, in his foreknowledge, prescribed the remedy for that sin. So when we look at words and phrases, look, be ministered to by these words and phrases. Let me collect them for you. Chosen by God. Apply that to yourself. Predestined. Adoption. You're adoption, adopted into God's family. You're sons and daughters. You're accepted. That's a big word. That's really powerful. I can tell you, even gangs. It's really sad. In, in some areas where the family life is not stable, young men and women now are going into gangs. And you, a lot of these phrases, we're like family. Some of the, one of the famous gangs that I'm f aware of, it's because we're like family. They do these amazing, sometimes horrific things, and then they're accepted, and then they're, they'll die together, right? But that's a dysfunctional form of acceptance. We don't have to join a gang because God has already accepted us. If you're the, the black sheep of your family or you're the, the loner or you, know, does, you live by yourself and there's nobody around you, God has accepted you. And if you have God in your life, what does it matter that maybe we don't have anybody else in our life? 
Let me, let me continue. It is his good pleasure to do it. It is according to his will. It is according to the glory of his grace. Grace. That word is charis in the Greek, which is a blessing or a benefit not earned or deserved. The uh, typical expression in the ancient world of, of this time for Christians would be charis kai irene in the Greek which means grace and peace. That's kind of funny on a side note. I looked at, after all the years of studying the Bible, it just popped out. I'm like, Irene, that's kind of spelled like Irene. So then I, I, I get so distracted. <laughs> so then I'm, I'm looking up Irene. I'm like, whoa, it means peace. I know one Irene here. I won't point to her and, and embarrass her, but uh, you're, she, she already knew what she told me. I know my name means peace. But that's a cool thing. Peace comes from the grace that was displayed on the cross. Right? Romans 5 tells us we have now, we now have peace with God. See, we're at enmity with God. We're against God. We don't even realize it when we're not spiritually regenerated. We're born into this world. We're flesh and blood, but we're not alive spiritually until we, we respond to God's love for us and he woos us and he, we, yes, we accept it and we, we know what Jesus did on the cross. We believe and we trust in him for our salvation. And then guess what? There is a peace that washes over us. Not based on circumstances anymore. It comes from within. And because of that, we should desire to please our Father, our Creator, and to be holy and blameless, which you can be. You can be. I actually taught a, a sermon once called What's So Scary About Holiness? People get scared by that word. But you can be holy, and some of you are practice, practicing it, and you don't even realize it. You know, others look at you and, and there's, there's, a, there's a difference. You know, let's just say you're in a group of people and they're using heavy profanity and I've had this, oh, sorry, Joe. Listen, I'm not the words police, but the fact that they recognize that I didn't even say anything, that they're, me just be, me being around them, they're like, you know, let's have, let's listen, you say what you want. I don't choose to do that to you, but, um, you know, it's your choice, right? There's a, a picture of holiness, when you encourage someone to strive higher, there's two ways of doing it. Number one, you can beat them down, which usually doesn't work, and if it works, it's out of fear. Or two, you can say things like, I know you have it in you. I know you can do it. I believe in you. God says, I created you. I know you can do this because I gave you the ability to do that. It makes you want to do it more. Now, there are some of us who are in the exception that if you tell us we can't do it, we'll try like hell to prove you wrong. But, <laughs> but... When it comes in terms of God, God doesn't operate like that. He doesn't play games. He's not a manipulator. He's very upfront with his love and his, and his knowing that, that we can do it because he gave us the ability to do it. He's exhortive. He's encouraging. God doesn't play games. Okay, verse 3, towards the end here, it says, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, Unfortunately, the prosperity gospel has corrupted this. They've reduced God to a genie in a bottle. I want something, I want it now. You rub the side and God comes out and three wishes, I want ten wishes. You know, these are all, here's my wish list, Lord. I'll call you next time I'm in trouble and I need something. I, I was reading, was it Creflo Dollar who told his congregation that he needed a $66 million jet? I said to my wife, I'm in the wrong business here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just kidding. But It's weird. But people will give him that money to buy his new $66 million jet. It's, I mean, do we, we're not called to be spoiled people, you know? I want an Oompa Loompa, Daddy, buy me one. It's not, that's not what we're called to be. I'm dating myself. 
Actually, Warren Wiersbe, in this, in teaching on Ephesians, the title of his book is Be Rich. Not like the prosperity gospel teaches. When you start reading it, you understand it's the riches in Christ. I gotta tell you, um, so what does that mean, Pastor? What do you mean? Well, let me just tell you from my life, things that happen to me, things that are going on right now at this very moment that I've been blessed with. And it's not something I work towards. It's not something I I got a degree for. It's not something that um, I exercised for. But I'm preaching the gospel. You know, I'm blessed with the gift of evangelism. I can sit with people and just build a bridge and talk to them about the Lord and stimulate conversation. And there's an interest there. Some have been led to the Lord. For some, I completed it. For some, I started it, and somebody else completed it. I'm preaching. Nobody's walking out. Nobody, I don't see anybody sleeping. I mean, that's a miracle in itself. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) This is something that money can't buy. This is something that God blesses us spiritually while somebody is walking out. (laughs) She's going to come back. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) I have to do that once in a while. (laughs) Verse 7. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. This is a play on words. That word riches in the Greek can be translated usually in that language in that day to wealth of a temporal sort, tangible. But check out, he's just, by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul is just masterful in this. He says, according to the riches of His grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence and understanding. This wasn't some flighty last-minute decision. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him in whom we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. So the third part of this is redemption by the Son. We see the thought, the wisdom, the planning, the love that went into the plan of salvation. Yes, the gospel is a simple message. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's simple. But there's also the nuts and bolts, I like to say, behind it. It's intricate. It's, you know, God could have just taken His hand and went, wiped us all away, damned us all, and started all over again. But He didn't do that. A lot went into this. So we're redeemed by the Son. We're redeemed by the shedding of the Lord's blood, nothing more, nothing less, no matter what religion teaches you. This is it, right here. Some don't want you to read the Bible because you'll find out the truth and it may go against the doctrine that they try to indoctrinate you with. Be careful of any group that, that says, no, 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 don't read it. You're just going to get confused. We'll read it and we'll interpret it for you. That's not according to even the Scripture. It's profitable for reproof and correction and training and all these things to the average person, right? The Son carried out the Father's will for salvation according to John 3.16, but the Son did it willingly out of love. Verse 7, the riches of His grace. Again, a play on words. Now again, I would never tell you that you shouldn't make money, that you shouldn't plan your retirement, that you shouldn't buy a a car. You know, I'm not going to tell you any of that. But 
riches today are a medium of exchange. The dollar, it is silver, you know, everything fluctuates. It's a medium of exchange. That means you use it to buy stuff that you need and some things that you want as well. Heavenly riches, though, will last throughout eternity. Sadly, the Ephesian Christians lusted for things in Ephesus. And today, Ephesus, as I showed you, are in shambles. Today, Christians lust for things too. You might say, but Pastor Joe, I, know, I only know that in a sexual way. Come on, let's be, let's be honest with ourselves. I've got to have it. Not a person, it, something. I really, and it keeps you up at night. I want it. I'm going to work more to get it. I'm going to study more to get it. Whatever it is, something temporal. It's this, this carnal lusting. You know, it, it takes control over us. It's part of the soma. It's part of the sarks, the body, that we want it. That's lust. That's lust. We take it in stride, or do we have to have it? In the rest of these verses, we find the plan of salvation was thought out and very wise. And in Christ, everyone is brought together. The Apostle Paul says in other places, male and female. There was often a division in the first century in the Roman Empire. A lot of things were done separately. However, through Christ, men and women worshipped together. Uh, Jew and Gentile, again, division in the first century. Christ brought them together. The poor and the wealthy, big-time division. You realize that in a lot of countries, and, and even in the Roman Empire, there really was no middle class. That's an American thing. It's a good thing. It was just you were either dirt poor or you were extremely wealthy. And the dirt poor would make up the large uh, segment of society. But wealthy and poor worshipped together, and they blessed each other. Right? Do we live like that? I think sometimes, even in today in Western Christianity, we, we kind of get weird ideas about how we fellowship with people. Do you have a certain type of person that you won't hang out with if they're a believer? Shouldn't be like that. Christian caste system? Shouldn't be. The cool kids? Shouldn't be. Is that person in the, the young adult or teen group that is, is ostracized? Shouldn't be. I hope it doesn't go on here. I know Pastor Vinny's heart. His heart is to bring everybody together. You know, a caste system, we're supposed to be one in Christ, right? Now, when we look at this fullness of the time, I believe that he's speaking about this first century when Jesus did die on the cross, and because of his death, he started to bring everybody together. In the fullness of the time, this mystery, mysterion, which is something that was formerly hidden, maybe in the Old Testament, but revealed in the New Testament. It's not a, a spooky mystery like we think about in our vernacular, but it's something that God has revealed. And that's an awesome thing. And of course, Christ will come uh, at some point in a different dispensation, and he will rule righteously. Christ is the arche. He's the focal point. He's the center of it all. He's the tethering point. He's the foundation. You go to Asia, Africa, you go to a remote place in the earth, different culture, different language, different foods, different manner of dress, different everything. And you know what? If you can communicate verbally, you'll find that once you start talking, it's like you always knew this person. As long as Christ is the focal point. And I've seen that. I love talking to missionaries. Totally different, heavy accents, whatever the case may be. And it's so cool. We can, I can sit down with any of them. And, and sometimes when they, they're in town, I ask them to speak or say something and tell, tell the congregation a story. Tell them what you're doing over there. To me, it's exciting. We're actually going to have a speaker, uh, I believe it's in April, from uh, Far Reaching Ministries. 
the work that they're doing in Africa and war-torn Sudan, and I mean, it is heavy out there. The chaplains are really literally under gunfire. This guy's going to come up, and I, t- I said, just let them know. I said, just unleash. Let them know what's going on over there and the great work that the Lord Jesus is doing there. It's exciting. And I can tell you, whether it's a marriage or any relationship, once Christ is the focal point, it can't help but bring both of the parties together. Verse 13. In him, in Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, Romans 10, 17, the word is regenerative, the gospel of your salvation in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So fourth out of fifth part is sealed by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, and arguably one of the most misunderstood. People understand the Father to some extent. They understand the Son to a greater extent. Holy Spirit um, is, is, is interesting. He's a, one of the persons of the Godhead, but often I say maligned and a, weird stuff is attributed to the Holy Spirit. People throw the Holy Spirit around, unfortunately, some a lot in their wording, and I think we need to be careful because... Did the Holy Spirit tell you to do something? A lot of times for me, I find out in hindsight that that was definitely the Holy Spirit that led me to do that. Or I get a strong conviction, and I know the Holy Spirit convicts. I'm I'm going in the direction God doesn't want me to go. And I'm definitely convicted, and it came from somewhere. It didn't come from me, because my flesh wants to do fleshly things. But the Spirit wants me to do spiritual things. So the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit basically we find an understanding of the Holy Spirit in a great way in the Gospel of John. Jesus explains a lot about the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John, and he also says that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will testify of me. If the Holy Spirit's not pointing to Jesus Christ, but something just remote or abstract or you know, even anti-scriptural, it's not the Holy Spirit, it's something else. Holy Spirit, he seals, he counsels, he convicts, he convinces, he walks alongside of us. He can be upon us. He can be in us. It's just like that power to get us going. When our physical body, when we're ministering and we're out there and we're just exhausted, the Holy Spirit carries us. He propels us. It's awesome to have the Holy Spirit in your life. And that you get when it's one of the benefits of being a believer. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. A part of God actually somehow resides inside of you. Some things I can't explain, but that's what the Bible says. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you've experienced the Holy Spirit's power in your life. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit can be subject to our grieving or quenching Him in the Scripture. But the Holy Spirit wants us to be God-successful. Now, sealed is an interesting word because back in the day, the monarchs, uh, the Roman Empire, whatever, empire would have these rings, these metal rings, and they would have a design, very intricate, so they couldn't really be forged. And uh, kings had them too, these signet rings. And when there was a, a document that had to be sent, or even the tomb that Jesus, the stone was rolled, it's believed that there was a wax seal, and the Romans, while it was wet, the Romans put their seal in, and it was an inscription. So if you broke that seal, you were subject to death, the death penalty, because that was the Roman government's authority. Um, but the Bible talks about us as being sealed with the Holy Spirit, like God puts his stamp on us. We're owned by him. I like that, by the way. I mean, in American, <laughs> a Western imagery, to me, I think of branding cattle. It's just the way my mind works, you know? 
Every time you look up and you're like, oh, that's, Mark is still there. You know, ooh, I can dig it. It's good. It's good. I like the fact that God has his mark on me. Now, the Holy Spirit, we're told, is a a guarantee or a down payment. Christ bought us on on the cross. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. He will return one day to fully redeem us if we don't pass away first and go to be in glory in heaven. And in communion, again, I love communion. A lot of churches practice communion, and it's a somber look at the past. But Jesus says, he spoke to the disciples about his coming again. I won't drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it in the kingdom. Wow, good time in the future, Jesus says. Look forward to that. Communion is respectful and somber, but it's also exciting because there's a promise there. The Holy Spirit, okay, he, you know, we, what, what's, what happens here basically? We believe, right? We trust and we rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ for our lives. Now, be careful with this because the demons believe, but they're not saved. You know what the difference is? The demons don't trust in Jesus for their salvation. Let me tell you something. The demons believe the Bible more than Christians do. Because they are the fallen angels. They were there in the kingdom. They saw the splendor of God. They were seeing the throne room. And the ones that rebelled were cast down. So let me tell you something. Demons believe. They know the scripture in and out. And they try to use it to manipulate us or to manipulate false teachers. But they're not saved. So believing is good, but we also have to go the extra mile and put our trust. We rely on Jesus. Right? It's, it's different. It's a relationship now. Verse 15. Therefore I also, the Apostle Paul says, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, right, Un- unfolding, unveiling, understanding in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling not hope i hope this happens i hope he returns i hope i go to heaven but this is a hope that we put our trust in it's something to look forward to i have to sometimes take these words that we use in english and give you the greek rendering um, and an understanding of that meaning this isn't i hope i hope he calls me I hope we can get together. No, no, this is hope based on foundation. It's exciting to look forward to. What are the riches of his glory of the inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, right? All beings created, uh, spiritual uh, dimension. He's above all that. Might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but in the age which is to come. And he put all things under his, under Christ's feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. So if you're an Ephesian Christian and you're reading this, you would say, Ephesus who? If the Holy Spirit is really in your life, and you're re- this, is, this is a shot in the arm. This is a boost. You know, this, is, this is more powerful than those little uh, Red Bulls and stuff. I mean, this is a spiritual boost and boon to the Christians reading this. 
It's almost as if they're pining away for Ephesus and all the stuff that's going on and the material things. They're totally had a, a, they're, they're a shift in, in focus. And that's why we come here on a Sunday morning. It's not necessarily to make us feel good, but it's to grow us and strengthen us in the things of the Lord. Somebody might have walked in here today just obsessed about something in the world, and your focus now is changed on Jesus Christ. And that's a good thing. So the fifth and last point is prayer for revelation. Right? And let me tell you something. There's so much in here, I could probably take three Sundays on this. Uh, it's so funny because I, I did the study and I listened to Chuck Smith's uh, doing of Ephesians and he said, there's so much in here. I'm like, I just said that. You know? <laughs> but it was kind of funny because like, all right, I'm, I'm digging it. You know, he's saying the same thing. It was every verse. He goes, I run into something that I can expound upon. But, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot here. The same thing that was available to the Ephesians is available to us today 2,000 years later. And the answer is two things. Prayer, at the word, three things, and discipled in both of those. Right? As a spiritual father, the Apostle Paul is praying for and giving thanks to the Ephesian Christians. Isn't that amazing? That even though he was separated from them physically, that he was attached to them through prayer. The miles separated, the distance separated, but the prayer attached him to them. And I've got to tell you that it's my desire too as the pastor of this church that if we're all of the same mind, we won't be bickering, we won't be fighting, we won't have cliques, we won't have, you know, I don't like that person, I'm going to sit on the other, and the church isn't that big. So if I've got to separate you, once, you know. No, James gets along with everybody. <laughs> but, you know, that stuff goes away when we're one in Christ. You see what I'm saying? And when we grow in, in the word and prayer and the revelation revealing of who Jesus is fully, people are afraid of the book of Revelation. But you know what it is? Apocalypsis. It's just the unveiling of Christ. When you really understand who Christ is and you read that book, you're like, wow, I learned so much more about my Savior. It's a good thing. We become, as a church, any church, of one mind and harmonious. Lastly, what is the Apostle Paul's desire for believers, and what should we desire as well? Well, he says this. The first part is, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, in the knowledge of him, and the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. To really know the true Jesus of the Bible. Not the fake Jesus, not the, you know, Jesus has been maligned too. Well, Jesus says this. Well, Jesus wants... Just go test it with Scripture. And there's nothing wrong with going home and just saying, whoever you are, Lord, reveal yourself to me. I want to know more of you. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's clear. If your heart is really desiring him, he will reveal himself. He'll make himself evident in your life. That's a good thing. And you know what? On this journey as human beings, as sinners, we just always, that's why it's called the living word. Every time we read it, there's something more we learn about our Savior. So the second thing is to know the hope of his calling know the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. So to be built up in what is true about his promises, present and future, to spiritually tap into that wealth and those riches he's provided for us and it's available to every person in this room today. The devil doesn't want you to believe that, but God wants you to know that. What are God's spiritual riches? Again, I can only um, speak from... Uh, personal experience. I mean, I've been able to talk people down from suicide. I've been able to see people with addictions get well and become functional. 
see people get saved, grow in the Lord. Again, these are nothing that money can buy, but it's such a blessing, you know. And until you actually do it and trust God to use you, once it happens, it's, you get addicted to that feeling that God is using you and, and helping broken people. Isn't that awesome? I mean, there's so many programs out there. They're, they're for centuries, they're for decades, program, program, program. But this is the real thing that helps to fix broken people. The tried and true method over the last 2,000 years. Amen? But you've got to be willing to do it. So the first chapter of this letter lays down a double foundation. Number one, understanding Christ as the focus. We talked about this, the anchor, the bedrock, the foundational stone to our lives, what he has done for us and what's available to us. So Christ is the foundation too. To understand who we are in Christ, which sets the stage for understanding the rest of the letter and the ability to do what we're asked to do. Chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Trust me, not easy stuff in here. But through the Holy Spirit, we can do these things in, with supernatural backing. The Lord's like, I got your back on this. Do that. It's going to be hard. If you do it in the flesh, you're going to fail. If you do it in the Spirit, and trust me, I got your back. That's the best backup you can ask for. Right? Amen? This helps to eliminate the pining away for the world for the last 2,000 years. Leonard Ravenhill said, Is the world crucified to you, or does it fascinate you? Sometimes as Christians, we, we, like to, we like to get close to the fire and see how close we can get until we get burned, until our, the hairs on our hand get singed. Ooh. I don't know why we do that. Play with fire. It should be crucified to us. It helps to eliminate the lack of contentment, the endless wandering, endless pining away, even in the Christian community, looking here, looking there, looking all over the place. Striving, striving, striving. A Christian who's always striving. The only thing we should be striving for is for greater holiness, to be closer to the Lord. According to Ephesians, the wealth is already established. It's available, like the apple stock. As the widow didn't have to go anywhere, it was right there. It's right under our noses. It's right, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? From right where we are to get something spiritual that we don't think that we already possess. It's right here. Not in this church, it's in you. The real poverty, want to talk about play on words, poverty, tragedy? The real poverty is when we don't tap into what God wants to do on the inside and we keep pining away for things on the outside. Going to get it. We possess everything right here if you're a believer. So I want to encourage you with this letter in the next few months. Allow Ephesians to change your outlook as a believer. Allow Ephesians to help you to tap into something you never knew you had. Well, I've been a Christian for five years. No one's ever told me this. Well, let the Apostle Paul tell you. Let him give you the ability to change your outlook on your life, who you are, your self-worth, real self-worth, not what the world teaches. And, you know, let's just be open to what the Lord says to us through this letter. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. 
On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.